Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQBD in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, are you finally starting to feel better about the economy? Or is your sentiment still down, as it has been in poll after poll of Americans, despite positive economic trends? Inflation has dropped, unemployment is low, wages are improving, and most economists agree we've avoided recession. This hour, we hear how you're feeling about the economy now, why our moods didn't improve last year, even as economic indicators did, and whether you think this will affect us, affect the election in 2024. Forum is next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The economy has ended 2023 in a, quote, remarkably better position than almost anyone on Wall Street or mainstream economics predicted, writes Rachel Siegel of The Washington Post. Inflation has dropped to 3% from a peak of 9. The unemployment rate is well below 4%. Wages are rising, and the Fed is signaling interest rate cuts this year. And yet, most Americans haven't been feeling it. But there are signs and surveys that find maybe we're starting to feel more hopeful. So tell us, listeners, where are you on the economy or your own personal economic situation for 2024? Optimistic? Gloomy? And why? Or what do you think has driven the disconnect between our perceptions and economic reality? You can post on our social channels at KQED Forum, call 866-733-6786, or email forum at kqed.org. Rachel Siegel joins me now, economics reporter for The Washington Post. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Glad to have you. Talk a little bit about this sour mood that polls indicate Americans have been in. What did you find people have been expressing? Well, on the one hand, this kind of sour mood or really just a discontent with the way the economy is going would seem out of step with what the data would tell us, right? As you mentioned, there's a strong job market. 
Inflation is easing. Gas prices are down from their peak. But what I found really after thinking about this question for quite a while is that (laughs) It really just takes time for those positive indicators to feel like they really sink in. The last Mm -hmm. couple of years have been so destabilizing, disorienting. Things have changed so quickly that that sense of dread and doom that things will finally stay good, I don't really think has had enough time to sink in for people. Yeah, you feel like people are actually worried that what they're experiencing now will shift again because we have been through significant shifts in the last three or four years. Sure. I mean, if if for so many people, every time they went to the grocery store, the bill was a couple of dollars higher, if not more, or when they renewed their lease, their rent went up by a couple hundred dollars, you need enough time to feel like that isn't happening to you anymore, to feel like if things are finally better in the economy, that it's going to stick long enough for you to really feel the benefit. I think one thing that's interesting, though, is that while people have been expressing this very valid sense of trepidation that you're sort of describing, right, and while this lag is potentially also the reason behind it, but through this experience of expressing all of this concern, people's actions weren't really lining up, right? People were spending, (laughs) It's it's exactly right. That disconnect is really fascinating. It's one that doesn't entirely make all that much sense, but is one that we have to figure out the source for no matter what. It's, It's exactly as you describe. People in surveys or even anecdotally, if we were to call them up, would say, yeah, it just doesn't feel like the economy is working for me. But we don't see their behavior changing as a result. We don't see people no longer eating out if they're unhappy with how the bill comes out at the end of the night. People are taking vacations. It was a really strong holiday season. Uh, For months, we would say, oh, maybe this is the last wave of, quote unquote, revenge spending. Maybe this is the last (laughs) concert people will go to. This is the last vacation that they'll take now that they have finally gotten something out of their system. And it just really isn't slowing down. And at this point, there isn't really the expectation that that switch will flip either. Yeah. So what made this sort of a remarkable expression of discontent is the fact that a lot of people were still spending and also the fact that there were a lot of the traditional economic indicators that were trending as in a positive direction. I guess on the remarkable front, too, is this sort of question of how we got here, because the predictions really were bad. Like, how did we avoid the recession after the pandemic that we had and all the economic issues that we had, Rachel? I mean, it's a question that people are going to be answering and studying for a very long time. But we have some, you know, we have a pretty good understanding, at least at this point, too. So the pandemic obviously gutted the economy in addition to harming people in in so many other ways, the health crisis, the mental health crisis, but the economy took an enormous blow as well. And then there was a major effort from the newly inaugurated Biden administration to just juice the economy as much as possible, to pass these serious stimulus efforts that were going to send checks directly into people's pockets, that were going to try and revive the job market, all at the same time that there were still plenty of other problems. The supply chains weren't solved yet. There were so many things that really needed a lot of repairing in the economy. At the same time, the Federal Reserve, which controls interest rates, moved really fast to get interest rates pretty much as low as they'll go. And that put more juice into the economy, too. It really took a foot off the brake, if we were to use a car metaphor. And that really infused this huge amount of momentum and energy into the economy that in some ways was overwhelming. The economy wasn't really able to take it. We saw inflation spiking because 
I don't know, all of a sudden people had a little bit of extra cash to spend, they were going to remodel their houses. And then all of a sudden you couldn't get a refrigerator or a couch or people wanted new cars. and There just weren't enough chips to make that happen. We had this mismatch of supply and demand, which sent inflation up really, really high. And that was what caused the Federal Reserve to try and step in to slow the economy. This is when all these expectations around a recession really started to solidify, because when you have to slow the economy down so aggressively, often you can do it to where there's a bit of a crash landing. And that's really the source of all this expectation that the economy was going to overheat. And then in order to get it under control, the Fed was really going to have to slam on the brakes. But then, too, was this remarkable surprise. The Fed did raise interest rates really, really high. They were able to get inflation not all the way under control, but they're pretty far along that journey. And even still, really strong parts of the economy just remained so resilient, and so did individual households, too. Does the White House deserve credit, too, for avoiding a recession? So the White House has many more specific tools to address parts of the economy. The Fed really just has interest rates. But the White House was able to say, "Okay, we want to do something specific about gas prices. We're going to try to boost the supply of oil out there in the world. We want to do something specifically targeting insulin costs or healthcare costs more broadly. And the White House is really leaning on that message. They're really looking to the new election cycle to say, we tried to target specific areas where Prices were just too high. And they also passed sweeping legislation that was meant to bolster infrastructure projects and repair supply chains. It just remains to be seen whether that political message ends up having much resonance with voters. Yeah, that is certainly a question. But so here we are, as I mentioned, the stats at the beginning of the show with, you know, dropping inflation, low unemployment rates and so on. Is there anything else you want to highlight that is remarkable for you about this economy that we haven't yet mentioned? Well, the housing market to me really stands out as a huge sign of the economy for so many reasons. I think you can really tell a lot of stories about the economy through the housing market. Rent has been an enormous driver of inflation overall. If you look at the main inflation report, housing costs really come up at the top of the list. And housing is one of those areas that Fed officials have been trying to slow down. High interest rates bleed into high mortgage rates, the thinking being that that means that people will bow out of the housing market. There again, something totally different has happened. There was a very short housing recession, and now home prices are going back up again. At the same time, rent has become so unaffordable for so many households. I really think that housing, unfortunately, is becoming this growing symbol of the way we can look at a lot of economic inequality in the United States. And it really remains to be seen how some of those issues get resolved. Yeah. Our listener on Discord writes, housing is unaffordable almost everywhere. Rent is too high and it's hard to find a house to buy. People have Mm -hmm. their adult children living at home and worry that their kids will never be able to buy their own homes. The spread of Airbnb has taken rental properties out of circulation. We don't need more vacation homes. We need more homes to live in. We thank Noel for that comment. Tom writes, the middle class is slipping into the working poor. The slippage enhances Wall Street returns as corporations pay less to employees. The cost of living adjustments that follow traditional measures are not keeping up with inflation in housing, food, and health care. These are minimal quality of life standards. So, Rachel, of course, you know, whether the economic indicators are positive, um, there will always be, for very well-documented reasons, um, communities, large swaths of America that will not be thriving. And and housing is one of those persistent things. Is there anything else you want to say is a very persistent issue that, you know, tends to 
often make us feel like we are not in a strong or positive economy or that our own economic outlook is positive. Mm -hmm. I guess I would just go back to this idea of stability, where it wasn't all that long ago where inflation was so present in all of our lives. The list that you just mentioned from, from the listeners who were tuning in, it wasn't that long ago that gas prices were over $5 or that, you know, any other major or basic cost for life was just going up and up and up. It wasn't that long ago that there was so much fear of a recession or this real sense that the economy was going to have a downturn yet again after what we had already experienced during the pandemic. And I think that that it might only take time to move on from that. And it might only take not having some totally unforeseen shock pop up yet again. But I think that we just have to have some understanding that that's really at the source of a lot of this frustration. And I'm certainly curious to see how that plays into the election. But I think it's also a pretty human story, too. Yeah. Are moods changing? Do you find that data are starting to show that, that people are feeling more hopeful about the economy or more mm-hmm. optimistic about their incomes? We're starting to see some shifts in broader surveys. You know, they're they're very closely kept surveys on consumer confidence and consumer sentiment. Consumer spending, in a way, is the kind of survey like that. It, it tells us, you know, how confident people feel spending and continuing to spend. Um, you know, a lot of those surveys often also bend with gas prices. And as gas prices have ticked down, we've seen a little bit less of a sting show up in those surveys. So the possibility is, yes, that that the more time goes on, the more people have reason to feel optimistic. And also, as inflation eases, that gives people's paycheck more room to stretch, right? It means that your wages have more buying power if it isn't entirely being eaten up by just the basics for cost of living. Yeah. And I know you need to leave us soon, but I just want to ask you, as you brought this up too, why it matters how Americans feel about the economy. How much does that track with how they tend to vote? Mm-hmm. I think that will be one of the big questions of 2024. It really increasingly seems like the economy is a major election issue, not necessarily because the economy is itself bad, right? But because I don't think we have seen yet that voters are persuaded by the Biden administration's attempts to really play up the legislation that they've passed, the recovery since the pandemic. It isn't a great message to send to voters to say, you know, actually, the economy is a little bit better than you think it is. And let me tell you why. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, Rachel, thanks so much for, for talking with us. Really appreciate reporting on all of this. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a treat. Rachel Siegel is economics reporter for The Washington Post. And we'll be talking more about the economy's perception problem and why it exists and why it matters and some interesting polls that The Atlantic has conducted about this. So stay with us for that. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour about the disconnect Americans have been feeling, the discontent, really, about the economy, despite positive economic indicators. And we're wondering whether that's changing. Listeners, how are you feeling about the economy or your own personal economic outlook for 2024? Hopeful? Gloomy? Optimistic? Pessimistic? Tell us why. What do you think has driven the disconnect, if you believe there is one, between our perceptions and economic reality? Maybe you believe the economy is actually quite bad. Or why do you think our mood didn't improve along with economic indicators? You can share your thoughts and experiences by emailing forum at kqed.org, posting on X, Instagram, our digital community on Discord. Our social channels are at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786-866-733. 6786. And uh, I want to bring into the conversation now Gilad Edelman, senior editor covering political economy for The Atlantic. Uh, Gilad, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So we invited you on in part because The Atlantic commissioned this poll to better understand what is actually bothering people the most, or most specifically when it comes to the economy. Um, so tell us what tell us about the poll and, and what it found. The point of departure for doing the poll was that there was all this coverage um, of and discussion around this exact issue. Why are people so pessimistic out of proportion to what's actually happening in the economy? And what we noticed was that for the most part, Everyone was just sort of trying to read these very vague tea leaves because most of the most but not all of the polling that exists out there doesn't ask people why they feel the way they do. It just asks them how they feel. So we thought it would be interesting to not to to add to the standard questions about, you know, is the economy getting better or worse or whatever uh, and actually ask people. What are you thinking about when you answer? Um, so we so that's what we did. And, um, you know, so we asked a variety of questions. Uh, but the thing that really jumped out was when we asked people to pick from a pretty long list of what they what factors they consider when they're evaluating whether the economy is getting better or worse. Uh, the thing, the the runaway winner was the price of groceries. Ah, so not housing, not necessarily even the word inflation itself, which often got thrown out, though it's very much related to grocery prices, but specifically groceries. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's just one poll. So take it with a grain of salt. But but actually, when people had a list to choose from, groceries came number one and inflation itself came in number two. And then a lot of the people who picked inflation uh, on their second choice picked the price of groceries. And, you, you yeah. know, you had a, some people picked housing, some people picked interest rates, some people picked major purchases like cars, but um, by far, uh, 29% of people chose the price of groceries compared to, I think, 5 or 7% of people chose housing. So I was quite struck by that. 
Yeah. And we will take the poll and any poll, as always, with a grain of salt. But it's true that also the top line findings of your poll were pretty consistent with other surveys overall, that only 20% of people felt that the economy had gotten better and most people had felt that it had gotten worse. You know, I appreciated that you could relate to this grocery issue because you wrote a piece called The English Muffin Problem. So talk about The English Muffin Problem and what that highlighted yes, to you. Yes, this, this was my effort to appear to be a man of the people and not uh, an out-of-touch <laughs> journalist, although maybe I should have chosen a more everyman kind of food. But as I was thinking about this dynamic uh, where where people are just so fixated on how fast grocery prices have gone up. It made me think about how um, how I can relate to that because I in in 2020 I really got in the habit of eating uh, of making my little egg and cheese sandwich with an English muffin, and uh, at that time I was paying around 350 for a pack of six English muffins, and then there was some point in 2021 or 2022 I can't remember exactly when when I went to my nearest grocery store, and and a pack was six dollars. And that just bowled me over. And um, the, you know, six is the highest price that I've seen. But but even now in D.C., uh, at a lot of grocery stores, it's more than five, it's like five twenty nine to five forty nine for a pack of six. And for me, even though if you think about it over the course of a full year, maybe we're talking about one hundred dollars uh, added to my grocery expenses, which is not that much uh, over over a whole year there's something psychologically triggering about that where it just seems wrong uh, to me to pay more than what felt like the, the quote unquote natural price for the English muffins. Yeah. And speaking of psychology, I was struck by something you said in an interview that, that people tend to experience their income as something they earn, but the price of things as something that's happening to them, um, which I think is sort of an insightful way to understand also why confronting prices and groceries and so on can really shape what feels like your economic reality, right? Definitely. I, it's it's really interesting. The more you think about this, the more you have to realize that everything in the economy is interconnected. So if you're paying more for something, that money is going somewhere. That's revenue for somebody else. It may even be paying somebody else's higher salary. And so that helps explain how over the past few years, prices have gone up, but so have people's incomes. Those two dynamics are related to each other. And um, the thing is, when the price of something goes up, I think the natural reaction is to feel like that's just sort of the economy with a capital E. The economy is just doing stuff. Prices are changing. Whereas if you get a raise or you get a new job that pays more, I don't think most people think, gosh, I'm so happy that the broader macroeconomic conditions are such that it's a tight labor market and workers are having to raise salaries to attract the talent that they need and passing those costs along to the consumer. No one thinks that. You just think, oh, I'm really killing it. I got a raise. <laughs> well, this is writes, I am unemployed, having a tough time securing a job. I am running out of savings and will soon run out of money for rent. And a gallon of milk is six freaking dollars at Safeway. It seems like the economy is in worse shape than economists can figure out. Let me go to caller Pat in San Francisco. Hi, Pat. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks for your time. Um, so I wanted to preface by saying I was born in 97, right? So I, I consider myself one of the older uh, Gen Z. And I, amongst my friends and I, you know, we grew up 
going, we came of age in 20 years of war. That was, uh, I don't think it's, you know, a shock to say was mostly lies and the 2008 housing crisis. And when we eventually came out of the 2008 housing crisis, we were told everything's good, right? We came back, we powered through it. But then I look at my parents and thank God my dad had a union job and it didn't mess with his retirement. But my mo- my mother's retirement got pushed back 15 years. She lost her job in 2008 and had to take a step. It was something crazy, like a 60% pay cut. And then to come out of that and, you know, all these people taking stats and the government is saying we made it, we're stronger than ever, we're doing great. While seeing what my family had to go to, I completely disagree. You know, so at this point, you tell me the economy is better. I'm paying $3,100 for an apartment that is maybe 700 square foot. I have no dream. Like, I can't even say it's a fantasy of owning a house anymore because I'm a blue collar worker. That's not happening for me Mm. ever. I don't see it as a real realistic possibility. So I think for, in terms of me, yeah, I'll still spend, I'll still go out to dinner, even if I'm unhappy with the bill, because it is what it is, right? Like everybody's just going to tell me it's good when I know it's bad, but I still want to have time with my friends and my family and see the people I care about. So if it's bad, it's bad. I'm getting, you know, messed with either way. And so it doesn't really matter to me what's being said because, I look at my bills, I look at what's coming in versus what's going out. And it's always been that way. You know, I I talk with my dad in Arizona and I'll I'll finish after this. I talk with dad in Arizona, right out in Phoenix, a major city. Gas is close to $3 um, out there. Why at my neighborhood gas station am I paying like close to $5? If it's not a squeeze on us, I, I don't know where all these low prices are at to find where people are finding these killer deals, but that's that's where I'm at and my friends are at with it. So thank you for your time. Yeah. Well, Pat, thanks for sharing sort of the contours that shape your personal economic outlook. We could actually do a whole show on why California's gas prices are a lot higher, but I appreciate you just sharing the overall picture and, and sort of what drives your view of the economy, your experiences of your prospects. I'm struck, Gilad, by how uh, Pat was talking about and wanted to preface with the fact that he's older Gen Z, I think is how he described it. You did do an age breakdown, right, in your survey. Can you tell us sort of how that played out? Yeah. And thanks, Pat, for calling in. Um, or is that your job as the host to thank people? Sorry. Oh, no, no, um, please. I, <laughs> there's there's no set rules. To hear from him. Okay, okay. Um, for, uh, I'm a first time caller myself. Uh, yeah, we did look at, um, we did ask, you know, lots of demographic questions, including age, and it, it was kind of a complicated picture. So when you at, when we asked, has the economy gotten better or worse over the past year? The youngest age bracket, the Gen Zers and, and young millennials were the most negative when you asked how have things been going the past year. But if you, but then when you ask people what's going to happen a year from now, younger people were way more positive and it was older people who were the most negative. Huh. And when you asked like about people's personal finances as opposed to the economy, there again, younger people were a bit more positive than older people. So it kind of 
seems to me as I go back through the data that we gathered, that for the youngest age bracket, there's kind of a sense that the economy overall is really bad, um, but I might be personally doing okay, and I think things are going to get better. And the older age brackets are actually more worried about what's going to come in the future. Well, let me go to caller Mike next in Cupertino. Mike, you're on. Hey, hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, so I guess uh, the economy, how we're doing um, is the topic. And I think we're doing okay overall. You know, let's not uh, complain too much and, you know, look at other people, other countries, how they're doing things. And, you know, we don't want to get to that level, but we're doing we're doing good. You know, you got, you know, migrants, undocumented migrants who are working and making a living here still. They're still working. They're able to pay their rent. Rent goes up. Food goes up. Gas goes up. And we still find a way to maintain, you know. But nope. if you ask me, you can look at it. Yeah. Yeah. If, you, if I ask you, you can what? You can finish your thought real quick. Uh, you can, there, yeah, there's different ways to look at it. But, I mean, for me, standing, just generally speaking, I, I think it's going good. I'm, I'm a painter. I've been uh, working uh, for the last nine months every day. I work for a big company. And I'm at work right now, just having my lunch, listening to you guys. But <laughs> yes or no, yes, it's doing good. The economy right. is doing all right. It could, could it be better. Yes, it could be better, but it, it's all right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you calling in with that. Let me go next to Carol in Foster City. Carol, you're on. Hi. Well, you are talking to the older generation. I'm 86. We were called the silent generation before the baby boomers. And let me tell you what our problem is. We're afraid of inflation. We've seen it happen repeatedly over the years. Mm. We're on fixed incomes. We can't go to work anymore. Gasoline is over $5 a gallon here where I live. And that's for the cheapest gas. Mm. And groceries aren't included in the cost of living index anymore. They don't include the things that older citizens have to pay for. And so if you see older citizens not feeling good about the economy, it's because we either remember the Depression or our parents told us about it, and we've seen inflations that were horrendous. I believe they were somewhere around Reagan's era, and that's our concern. Oh, Carol, thanks for, for giving voice to that. You know, as we are talking about how different age groups are feeling, different demographic groups as well. I want to bring Christian Paz into the conversation. Christian is a senior politics reporter at Vox, and his recent article is actually titled Black and Latino Americans Haven't Experienced the Same Economy as Everyone Else. Christian, thanks so much for being with us. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So we're, we're looking at sort of how people's feelings about the economy have affected different groups differently. And, and you sort of determined from your reporting that many Black and Latino Americans shared that they were feeling rising prices even harder than a lot of other groups? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, the story was basically trying to take a bit of a step back at how inflation has affected um, various uh, you know, class groups and various uh, demographic groups going from the Trump era into the Biden administration. Um, and the big conclusion was that we 
we all experience inflation, but if you were black or Hispanic or Latino, the experience you had with inflation was, you know, a little bit worse, especially when it came to food uh, and transportation costs. Um, I went to uh, the New York uh, Federal Reserve's analysts have like a specific uh, quarterly analysis that they do on how inflation affects different groups of people in the U.S. Um, and they found uh, that throughout most of, uh, of that period of 2021 and 2022, where inflation became a big deal, um, for Latino Americans, their spending on food, used cars, and gasoline was actually um, higher than it was for Black and white Americans and for AAPI Americans. Um, and then when you look at Black and Latino families as well, the, the, the share of their paycheck that they were spending on housing was actually much bigger than it was um, for white Americans and for the average American. Um, and so, you know, we see that getting worse as inflation got worse and as inflation rates have declined over the last year uh, and a half, that those gaps have also shrunken a bit too. Um, but because you had that disparity throughout most of 2021 and 2022, uh, the experience, that memory of price increases, uh, you know, makes sense that it maybe made people feel worse uh, because they were actually having to spend more of their income on, on those things. Uh, the other thing that you can look at is to see who was experiencing inflation worst depending on whether you count it as a middle-income family versus a low-income family. And throughout most of 2021, as inflation was ramping up, and the first half of 2022, middle-income families felt the biggest crunch from inflation. Um, but then about halfway through 2022, it flipped so that low-income families were reporting um, inflation the burden of inflation being higher. Um, and so I found that interesting because it kind of complicates a little bit of the experiences that we're, that we're seeing um, come through in some of the political polling as well, um, because yes. it is really interesting to see that disparity come across and all, in politics. And all the reporting that we were hearing about significant gains among lower income households and specifically Black and Latino households or how wage gains have been so notable as well. Absolutely. And I wanted to go back to something we talked a little bit earlier about, about that, the disconnect between the feeling of, you know, your improving economic conditions being something that you've achieved, um, and the economy as being something that is happening to you. Um, because that kind of feeds into this, this analysis of, of how inflation has affected different groups and what's happened to real wages at the same time, you know, the actual take home money that the people have after analyzing inflation. Um, and it's true that we're now at a place where inflation has dropped off, you know, you know, those price hikes have slowed down. Um, but we still have uh, real wages kind of pulling ahead. Um, but while we have those real wages pulling ahead, there's still that, I call it a hangover, because, you know, people really did experience a much harder time um, during those last two years. And it takes a little bit longer for yeah. people to feel better. We're trying to explain our economic discontent despite sort of traditional positive indicators on forums. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Christian Paz, senior politics reporter at Vox. His recent article is titled Black and Latino Americans Haven't Experienced the Same Economy as Everyone Else. Gilad Edelman is also with a senior editor covering the economy for The Atlantic. And their recent article about economic discontent is called The English Muffin Problem. And we're talking with you, our listeners. How are you feeling about the economy or your own personal economic outlook for 2024. What do you think has driven what some believe is a disconnect between our perceptions and economic reality or the fact that our mood or view of the economy didn't improve along with economic indicators? What questions do you have about how economic sentiment will affect us in 2024 or the election? You can email forum at kqed.org. Find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. Call us at 866-733-6786. Let me go next to Keith in Monterio. Keith, thanks so much for waiting. You're on. Yeah, the disconnect for me has been driven mostly by the fact that the so-called soft landing hasn't really hit me, only for this, uh, where, where I work, we're locked in a five-year contract every year during the pandemic. The inflation rate um, superseded larger than our, our COLA raise. Yeah. So every year so far, I've had less buying power as a result. So I can understand that there's macroeconomics but then for me personally, anyway, uh, I've only gotten less less bang for my money. Well, Keith, thanks for sharing that. And I'm sorry to hear that that's the case. Uh, listener William writes, is negative media hype driving the perception gap, making a lot of people think the economy is bad? It's an interesting question. And and I'm wondering about this a little bit. Like we're hearing Keith talk about his own experience. And Christian, we're hearing you talk about the experiences of um, Black and Latino Americans. And and of course, one of the reasons um, that you homed in on these two communities is because you're a political reporter, right? And they tend to vote Democrat. And you're finding that Joe Biden is underperforming with these communities. Are you finding that those are things are connected, that their experience of the economy is driving the way that they also perceive, you know, Joe Biden's performance, for example? There's definitely a connection, um, and you're seeing it a lot in battleground states. Um, I think that was one of the reasons why I wanted to write the story was because um, the New York Times toward the end of last year had a poll of battleground states um, where they found that two key constituencies for Democrats, uh, Black voters, one of the most loyal constituencies, uh, had negative views of the economy on par with the views of white voters. Um, And among Latino voters, uh, the view of the economy and of Joe Biden's handling of the economy uh, was more negative than white voters' perspective, um, which is a pretty stunning result when you consider just how important these two constituencies are for Democrats and for their hopes of winning not just 
battleground state races for the presidency, but also for holding the Senate or winning key House competitive seats. Um, and so that's why I wanted to take a look at the inflation role. And then also the other part to my article focused on how um, specifically Black and Latino families were feeling about wealth. Um, and, you know, we talk a little bit about cost of living adjustments. We talk a little bit about real wages. Um, the other way that you can look at the state of the economy and the experiences of these families is to take a look at, um, you know, how much money do they actually have when you take into account all that they owe and all that they own as assets. Um, and that also explains a little bit of this, too, why maybe it felt like the economy before the uh, pandemic was so much better um, and why it's so much more difficult now was because, um, you know, as we talked a little earlier in, in, in the show, there was a significant effort during the peak of the pandemic and its onset to help people, whether that was through uh, tax credits, whether that was through direct stimulus, um, through more generous unemployment um, payments. Uh, all of that contributed, you know, combined with the fact that people weren't spending money, uh, people were able to save and people were able to pay off debt. And that's something that I found interesting from the Pew Research Center. Uh, they had another big survey out um, at the end of the year last year uh, that found that, you know, as much as the pandemic was a shock, um, one of the positive sides of it was that for a lot of low income Black and Latino families, um, they were able to pay off debt, they were able to save money, um, and they were able to improve their wealth standing from pre-pandemic to um, you know, 2022 uh, and 2023. Uh, but then you see a bit of a reversal as inflation takes a bigger role in, in, people's, in people's lives, um, that wealth gets drawn down a bit. And we've seen a lot of the coverage that's, you know, maybe it is negative, but it's happening, right? And maybe it is a problem with framing that, yes, people's savings from the pandemic have been used up. That's partially why we had more of a soft landing than maybe was, you know, originally thought could happen. Um, and maybe it's not a bad thing that people have made it through uh, this period of inflation by relying on that on those savings, but it still comes across negatively to people because that savings that you that you had, and yes, partially you're using it on experiences and all those things that you couldn't consume during the pandemic lockdowns. Um, but you know, there's also the side that you're spending so that you can offset those grocery prices that have stuck around um, and that haven't really, you know, we haven't really seen those price prices drop. Um, and so when you put that all together, yes, you do have a situation where maybe. Uh, for a long time, for you know, the course of the midterm campaigns and into part of 2023, we had uh, uh, not just a political press, but you know, a news media that was focused on those negative experiences because they were actually happening. Um, but now you are seeing a bit of a shift um, as we've had surprise after surprise that's slowly filtering its way through newsrooms, I think, um, into maybe seeing, all right, how did we make it here? Uh, yes, they're still suffering. Yes, they're still... Uh, that bad memory of of what happened, uh, but how were people so resilient, um, and who deserves credit for that? Yeah, well, I guess you know, thinking about William's question, Gilad, about the role that the media has played in in how people perceive the economy, it's interesting to hear Christian talking about how. Yes, we covered the reality of people's situations um, uh, 
you know, <laughs> in a way that may have really focused more on the the negatives, I guess, associated with with the economy and may not have paid as much attention to the positives um, that were happening in the economy, sort of shaping people's views of what the economy is doing. I, I am wondering, though, if you do want to weigh in on what role you think the media has played, because I do feel like, well, of course, conservative or right-wing media will likely paint the economy way worse than it is because they would like to have a Republican president, for example, or um, they are also trying to sort of meet the needs of their viewership or their listenership and and so on. But, you know, Christian's reporting shows that even Democrats are unhappy with the economy and Biden's performance on it as well. That's right. There's a few things going on here. There, there is, of course, the effect of right-wing media, as you say, where no matter what happens, it will be uh, spun as bad, uh, bad for Biden, uh, and ba- bad for America by extension. Um, but, but then you have to ask what, what information is getting through to people who are not plugged into right-wing media. And there, I think there's a lot to the hypothesis that the mainstream and even liberal media is kind of, um, structurally negative, <laughs> a study actually just came out from the Brookings last week. They looked at an index of economic sentiment that they that uh, has been that the San Francisco Fed has been tracking for many years, looking at a group of mainstream newspapers. And the researchers found that um, up until about 2016, you could basically uh, you could build a model where the the underlying economic indicators track the sentiment, the economic sentiment that you found in, in analyzing these newspaper newspaper coverage, but then that started to deviate during the Trump presidency. They 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 start they pin the beginning of that uh, divergence in 2018, uh, and so you might think, hmm, is it because the the media disliked Trump and they started being unnecessarily negative about the economy? But then the weird thing is that in 2021, the gap becomes even bigger so that um, when you control for what's happening in the economy, they find that mainstream news coverage is more negative than that. And it's not totally clear why. I mean, we know that the media in general, we have a bias toward uncovering problems as opposed to celebrating feel-good stories. That's partly because you know, of the classic, if it bleeds, it leads, the idea that negative news tends to drive uh, reader interest. But it's also because we as journalists see our role as pointing out the ways in which society and government need to do better. So so when you add the unfamiliar experience of inflation on top of that, I think you get some even more chaotic outcomes. The best example I can think of is that all throughout 2023, uh, with each strong jobs report that came in, the news, the headlines tended to be like, oh no, the jobs numbers are good. We're going to have inflation. And so even good news uh, or news that in any ordinary time in recent memory would be reported as kind of obviously positive tended to get spun even in, in, in straight ahead news coverage as bad because inflation was such a dominant narrative that uh, any development that seemed like it could add inflationary pressure was treated as a bad thing. Hmm. 
We're talking with Gilad Edelman of the Atlantic Christian Pause of Vox, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Well, let me read some more uh, responses that we're getting from our listeners. Kelly tweets, something no one is talking about is the cost of health insurance and utilities. Every individual and small businesses especially are suffering from the domino effect of these costs. Mine have grown 300% and 200% in 10 years. Why is no one addressing these? Andy writes, according to a report from last year, 49% of U.S. adults admit they wouldn't be able to cover a $1,000 emergency using only cash or their banking accounts. It's hard to remain hopeful when you have nothing to fall back on but more debt. Another listener writes, is this perception gap of the economy a result of COVID and all the uncertainty in people's lives it caused? In the back of people's minds, there could be the fear that another catastrophe is around the corner, no matter how positive our economy looks now, so people are less confident about their futures in general. Gilad, I'd asked this question of Rachel earlier, but but I'm wondering if you feel like the sentiment is starting to turn. I think you you have also referenced that there may be a bit of a lag effect and that people may begin to feel at least some of the economic relief or some of the benefits of the positive economic indicators that we've been seeing. Yeah, it's important to keep in mind the difference between the rate of inflation and prices. So the rate of inflation has come back almost to where it was before the pandemic. But that just means that the rate at which prices increase has slowed back down to the level where people kind of don't notice it day to day. The thing is, inflation happens so much so fast that we all still remember what things cost a few years ago. And so uh, when you ask people, how's inflation doing? They still say it's getting worse. And that's because they're still seeing prices that feel wrong. So a lot of people expect that if inflation stays low, that eventually people will get used to the price levels that we're experiencing now. It'll come to feel normal and not strange. And if inflation is the thing that's upsetting everyone, then people will, once they get acclimated to the new level of prices, start feeling less upset. The, so you're saying these prices are not going to go back down? <laughs> prices, yes. <laughs> Sorry, everyone out there. But in general, prices... You know, price of individual goods can absolutely go down, but um, the only time that we see prices overall going down is when the economy is in the tank, and that is not something that uh, we should be hoping for. We do see in the main tracking surveys that ask people how they're feeling about the economy, that sentiment has started to tick back up uh, over the last six months or so, but it's not back to where it was uh, before the pandemic. Well, Michael tweets, going out to dinner has increased by at least a third. We now reserve it for the most special of special occasions. Even a beer in a dive bar has gone up 25 to 33%. I now shop the grocery sales like never before, especially for meat and dairy products. The grocery sales like never before. Curtis writes, there's an ongoing drag on the economy that underlines all of the anxiety of the average American, even though the macroeconomic numbers seem fine. The vast majority of all the economic gains, along with distribution of income and wealth, have gone to the wealthy. The middle class has become the working poor. We need to focus on taxing the rich. <sighs> Ramona uh, Mina, writes. Mina, can yeah, I go ahead. to that real quick? Just, just, just really quick. Over the past few years, I do think it's important to flag that that is a lot less true than it usually is, that how obviously many people are struggling, but kind of uniquely over the past few years, the income gains have uh, heavily gone to pe the, the middle and working and lower class. Um, 
And you can see that actually in um, something else that the that the listener mentioned, which is uh, the price of restaurant meals going up. Part of that is because the people working at those restaurants are making more money. So this stuff is all really complicated. Yes, it is. But but thank you for that clarification. I really appreciate it. Um, well, Ramona tweets that she appreciates the, the discussion about the state of the economy and why people feel what they feel about it. Ramona writes, it's so important to hear others' perspectives instead of being left in your own echo chamber. Let me go to caller Sylvia in Richmond quickly. Hi, Sylvia. Go right ahead. Thank you. I'm in my late 70s. I'm a retired government worker. I belonged to a union. I have a good pension. I have Social Security. I was able to look forward and save money for my retirement. When I go to the grocery store and I see things, most things going up, a lot of things going up by a dollar a piece, and the grocery bill is going up, and I look at the person around me next to me, all those people who don't have what I have, and I think... They're paying the same price as I am. I have more and they have less. This, this did not start three years ago with the current administration. This started 40-plus years ago and since they've turned over the economy to private and industry. It's been getting richer and richer and richer, and <laughs> those guys need to let go of some of that, and the government gets more restrictive. And last thing I want to say is read Heather Cox Richardson, Letters from an American. She's on, the, uh, she's on a, a letter by email. Okay, Sylvia, thanks for that. Um, well, Christian, there was something that you said earlier that I think might be a nice way to sort of end this conversation, which is that you and newsrooms are starting to look at the resilience of of us over the last few years and how we've managed the incredible economic volatility <laughs> that we've been through. What are you finding it's there? Yeah. It's absolutely true. And we're trying to focus on that because it is it is surprising, right, that, um, you know, these indicators are trending now more positive um, and people are more willing to talk about uh, you know, claim victories, you know, how they were able to make it through, you know, such a spike in prices. Um, and we're also seeing that kind of mirrored by the political campaigns that we're, that we're focusing on. Um, I thought that last caller's comment about, um, you know, all the, the, the government measures that have been in place, you know, historically to help people um, during these moments of, of difficulty, um, you know, you're seeing the, the White House and the Biden campaign try to focus on that a little bit more and how things could change under a new administration. Um, and it, it is interesting to see that, yes, you know, in the political realm, Republicans tend to have an advantage on the economy. Um, but now we're trying we're seeing uh, a, a Democratic campaign that's kind of focused on championing those victories that they have. And whether people will be responsive to that, that's what we're kind of focused on uh, on seeing. Do, do people buy this, too, or, or not? Yep. Well, Christian Paz of Vox, Gilad Elman of The Atlantic, thank you both. My thanks to Mark Nieto for producing today's segment. And my thank you as always, listeners. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.